Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome to Growing in Grace. I hope in addition to Growing in Grace that you are also growing in knowing who God is. I was looking in 1 Corinthians 14, and I noticed in verse 33, it's just one aspect of uh, God's character, God's attributes. But one thing about him, it says that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. A few uh, verses later in verse 40 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, uh, this is why we need to do everything decently and in order. So have you ever thought about how God, he must be a God of order, right? I mean, even in the in nature, we see these cycles. We see everything, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, and it's just such an important part of, of our lives, counting on all of these uh, natural laws and all of these systems that God has put in place. I'm just so glad that he's not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. And so I wanted to go back to the beginning, uh, to Genesis, and try to talk about a time when mankind and even the angels, I believe, uh, pushed the Lord past the tipping point. Because what happened, they began to uh, disrespect God's boundaries, God's order. And so they were moving in the direction of more and more disorder. And that's why we're going to look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It's really a passage that sets the stage for the flood narrative. Because from Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, right after I finish reading, it'll be verse 9. So Genesis 6, 9, all the way through Genesis 8, 22. It's going to tell us more and more about the flood. But I want to deal with just before the flood. What caused the flood? Why was it that God decided, you know what, I've had enough? What was that? Because we don't want that to happen again, right? And so I believe that the text answers why he sent the flood. I believe he sent the flood on just unbridled wickedness and evil that They were just moving. But even though he was sending judgment, it's amazing to me that before he sent the judgment, grace began to prepare a way for people to escape the judgment. I think that reminds me so much of Christ and how we know that our sins uh, deserve punishment. Our sins deserve separation from God and spiritual death and so forth. But When I read this passage, I couldn't help but think, there he is. He is so consistent. God is so consistent. He is a God who is holy, but he is also a God who is so merciful. I want you to stay with me to the end if you're going to uh, listen to this because you'll be surprised at the end. It says in Genesis 6, 1, when man began to multiply, 
on the face of the land. And daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he's flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want us to kind of review this and kind of run it back through because perhaps you're uh, uh, at a gym or you're driving and you're thinking, what did that just say? And so it goes through really fast. But I want you to see how we need to respect uh, the boundaries that God establishes, because if we don't respect those boundaries, boundaries, there's going to be trouble. And so let's go back through and see how God did it. It's amazing if you think about it. For example, verse 1 tells us, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, you know, just stopping right there, I think about how God is the one who initiated all of our opportunities. Don't you know that God created our home? He made this earth. He made this earth so unique, we can't live on another planet. It's just incredible how he uh, designed this place where we could live, where we could have food, where we could survive. We wouldn't freeze or burn up, those kind of things. But he also uh, created humanity itself. I mean, our very lives. Have you ever really studied our anatomy and how it's just incredible the way that God designed our bodies so that we can function, so that we can think, so that we can run and work and sing and so many other things. But here he's saying that now mankind is multiplying over the face of the land. So uh, you got all these families God's blessing them with children, among their children or daughters. But, you know, it's exactly what he said was going to happen in Genesis 1.28. He tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. That's what they're doing. He told them in Genesis 1.29, God said, behold, I have given you. And you know, and I thought about that. He has given us everything that we need. Man, what a great opportunity that we have just to be alive, just to raise families, just to love life and to love Him. It's just amazing. But the one thing He did say was there was one tree in the Garden of Eden, and He said, all I'm saying is, don't eat from that tree. Well, you know what? Adam and Eve chose to cross that boundary. What a mistake, because when they crossed that boundary, they brought into our world sin, and we have been so damaged and fragmented ever since. As a matter of fact, even among their family, I mean, you've got Cain, 
the older brother, and Abel, the younger brother. And there's just this deviation from obedience that began with the fruit from the tree, but now it's just spreading. And so there's a a definite watershed moment in Genesis 3 where they cross the boundary, where Cain crosses a boundary. He kills his younger brother that he must have played with. And now you get to Genesis 6, 5, and the Lord looks and he says, you know what? He said, this is not changing. Every intention of the heart of man is just evil continually. And so once again, man is crossing this uh, boundary that God has set. But then I thought about a third chapter here in these verses, if we were to kind of put chapters within it. I thought to myself, now I see something that's a bigger issue. There's a bigger issue now in terms of evil and wickedness because verse 2 says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Who were these sons of men? What are we talking about when we're talking about the sons of men? Well, there's different interpretations of it, as you could probably imagine. You know, for example, some say, well, the sons of men were uh, the, the descendants of Seth. Maybe that's, that's who it was. And so they're saying, you know, all the godly good, good people began to mix with all of uh, Cain's uh, daughters. So that's what they say it is. Or they say maybe it's kings and nobility. There was just this certain class of human beings who began to, to be raised up and they just uh, began to have unusual abilities on the earth. But a lot of people say, no, that doesn't match with what Jude says, with what Second Peter says. Because uh, in Peter, he tells us that God did not spare the angels when they sinned. What? The angels sinned? What are we talking about here? Wait a minute. For those of you who may not be familiar with the scriptures, you may be freaking out and saying, whoa, what is this uh, guy on the podcast telling me? It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then he keeps going and you're thinking, well, how did the angels sin? Well, in Jude, right before uh, you get to the book of Revelation, it says in Jude verses 6 and 7, these words, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So you get this feeling, wait a minute, you mean those angels gave in to unnatural desire? Those angels committed some kind of sexual immorality? Yes, that's what I'm saying. And that's what Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, that's the way I interpret this. It says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So it's like they're picking at 
just random, any that they think looks good. And I thought to myself, look at the, the progression or digression they saw. They looked for those who were attractive. Then they just took them, anybody that they wished. And so I thought, wow, what's happening here? Angels are disguising themselves as humans. Angels are taking on human form. These, of course, are the fallen angels. These are not the good angels. These are good angels who chose to disobey and dishonor God. So they violated the order that God had. God is so precise when he says, I want one man and one woman to come together in holy matrimony, to be married, to leave their father and their mother, come together. They can become one flesh. So, you know, physical intimacy was designed to be between a man and between a woman. And it's within the context of their marriage, their commitment. They're going to have a great relationship to one another. But that's not what's happening here. They're just picking at random those that they want and becoming, uh, you know, they're saying, you'll be my wife and you'll be my wife and you'll be my wife and so forth. Well, there's no surprise when you get down to verse four and you see that all of this created Nephilim. It created offspring. Nephilim, I believe, were the children from the union of these angels, these fallen angels and these women. You know, it's interesting how in Genesis 1, 24, 25, and 26, God is talking about all that he had made. And he said they each multiplied according to their kinds. And when he made man, he said, let's make man in our image. And so we have a very unique role on the face of this planet. God made us really special whenever he created every man and every woman. But it's just sad that they get into this because they begin to produce these giants, if you will. These, that's what the word Nephilim means. It means giants. It's only used one other time. You know why? I believe it's because they were destroyed whenever God sent the flood. You see, that's why I think all of this happened, because there was this demonstrated obstinance. Let me read verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So isn't it a clear statement right here of the total depravity of man? You know, some people I think are saying, don't ever lose your belief in the inner goodness of all human beings. Well, this verse is trying to tell us something. Romans tries to tell us. Lots of passages in the scriptures try to tell us that we're broken on the inside. Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the human heart is deceitful. It is so desperate and nobody can understand it. You see, it's not like we as a human race, it's not like we're getting better and better and better. We're not evolving, getting better and improving. We're devolving. We're getting more depraved in some of the things that we're doing. And so the human condition, as terrible as it is, we're going to see in a few moments how it only magnifies God's grace when it steps onto the scene. 
But at this point, I just wanted you to notice that our sin grieves God. Do you know that the same Hebrew word that's used here in these verses uh, five and six about grieving God's heart and so forth, do you know it's the same word for pain that he said Eve would have and all women would have whenever they give birth to children? It's the same word. So God's saying, your sin has given me pain in my heart because it's not my intention for your life. It's the same word he said to Adam when he tells Adam in Genesis 3.17, whenever you go to work the ground, so whenever you're uh, trying to plant your crops in the fields, you're going to have to do it with great pain. So it's the same, same word in the Hebrew. And so just know that the same pain that a woman feels in childbreaking, the same pain that a man feels in groundbreaking, well, it all grieves God's heart the same way its sin hurts his heart. So what's God going to do? What have we forced God to do? He made us a perfect world, but now our perfect world is self-destructing. And so God says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start all over. And so he says, I'm going to destroy the earth. And so think about how verse 7, he says here, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. So I thought to myself, wow, we can't make it, you know? Like, we need water, yes, but we don't need too much water. I've actually talked to some people just in the last week. They had to go to the ER. You know why? Because they drank too much water. So too much water, apart from uh, uh, enough salt, could actually cause problems. But God says, I'm going to drown the whole, all the planet. And so it's like, no, what, what in the world have we done to ourselves? Do you know that if we took all the planet's surface water, and if you were to just spread it out, take away the mountains, take away the valleys and all the low places and so forth, do you know that already just the surface water, there's enough water on this planet to cover the whole face of the earth 8,000 feet deep, 8,000 feet deep. I read that in an article called, Did Noah Need Oxygen in the Ark? Uh, that, that title just drew my attention. It's on a website called Answers in Genesis. Oh, I recommend it. If you've never discovered that great resource, Answers in Genesis with Ken Ham. But he has all these specialists. Sometimes they're geologists. Sometimes, you know, they're uh, men who study the planets and the stars. And other times they're biologists. Other times they're uh, medical researchers and so forth. But it's just incredible whenever you begin to see things from a biblical worldview. But I thought to myself, it's almost like we're going to liquidate all of the oxygen, so to speak. It's all of the people are going to be in this incredibly deep water and they're not going to be able to survive. And so they're going to drown. I'm telling you, it was a global catastrophe that took place somewhere around 4,500 years ago, 4,500 years ago. And uh, Jesus, Peter, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they all looked at that event as a true historical event. 
It wasn't a fable. It wasn't some spiritual lesson to learn. It was like, it really happened. It took 371 days by the time it flooded. All the rain came on top of the water that was already here. And then for all of that then to drain off, it took 371 days. But you know, in the midst of all of that, God determined that he was not only going to destroy the world, he was also going to make a way to save the world. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how in the world is he going to do it? Well, that brings me to verse 8, our last verse for today. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, that's the man that God gave the instructions on how to construct this ark, right? So Noah, it says, found favor. The word favor there could be interpreted grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah didn't earn grace. Noah didn't earn favor. No, he found it. So I got to thinking, God hasn't flooded the earth yet. And so you know what he does? He makes a way through this one man, through one man that he located. And he says, you know what? I'm going to make a way for Noah and his family to to be spared. And then from them, I'm going to start all over again. And we're going to uh, give the world another chance. So I just thought that was so incredible to think about how our God, even though judgment was coming, grace came first. You know, God will not stand by and do nothing while we self-destruct. God will not stand by and do nothing while we hurt one another uh, with sin and violence and all these kind of things, selfishness and, and so forth. And so I thought, wow, he definitely has a way. And you know, he found one more. He found Jesus. You know, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was sent to this earth for a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to save the world, to save you and me, to save us from our sins. That's why Jesus died on the cross. God's making a better place than this earth. Oh, yeah, he's going to totally change the earth one of these days when uh, Christ returns. But he's made a place called heaven. And he wants you to be there. And he gave his son so that we could get there. And so it's all about him delivering us. He's not just going to comfort us. No, he's going to deliver us and save us and rescue us through Christ. I thought to myself, you know, before he comes back, we all need to be hearing the gospel. We need to be sharing the gospel with family and friends and so forth. Because Here's what it says. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When I read that verse, I thought about all of the sin that is out there these days. You see it, and I see it, and we know 
that the world deserves judgment. We know that there's so much sin. So is God going to do nothing? No. Like we learned in this, this lesson, this part of God's word. No, God will not stand by and do nothing whenever we're self-destructing and hurting one another and choosing wickedness over righteousness, choosing evil over good. And so God, he did do something. He gave his son. His son took upon himself the, the punishment, the penalty for our sins. He was the substitute so that we could be forgiven of the sins that we've already be, already committed and that we could um, begin to follow him and follow his ways and learn from him and be more like Christ rather than more like the world. When I read Genesis 6, 1 through 8, it reminded me so much of my time in Japan. When I was in Japan, we did a lot of chronological storing. And what we did was we realized, you know what? Some people have never heard the Bible from beginning to end. And so there are these gaps in worldview, and they don't know the biblical truths, the biblical accounts. And so when you go back and you tell them, I remember some of my Japanese friends saying, I've always wondered, where did evil come from? I've always wondered, how did all this brokenness that we see happen? You know, friend, if you would spend time in Genesis, if you've never learned it, maybe you have. And so I'm not saying everybody doesn't know, but I'm saying some don't. And so that's why we need to let them know how it all happened. How did we get in the shape that we're in? Should we just all blame God? Is it all his fault? No, remember, God initiated all of our opportunities. He provided all that we have, all those good things. We're the ones who've chosen the brokenness, but sometimes we choose it, I think, out of our own ignorance because we haven't heard the truth. We've only heard lies. And so I'm trying to help you know in these biblical podcasts to know the truth from God's Word. Let's learn lessons from God's Word of how we can turn from evil and turn to God, be forgiven of our sins, and then be on the right track as we follow Jesus Christ step by step. Let me pray for you as we go through this week together. Lord, I thank you so much for my friends that listen to Growing in Grace. I pray that each lesson is helping them to grow in grace, to realize just like uh, Noah, that he didn't earn God's favor. He didn't earn God's grace. God just looked upon him in grace. What a wonderful thought, Lord, that you love us. You'll have mercy on us if we will just turn in repentance and turn in faith, trusting your provision, your way. It's almost like, Lord, we could compare the cross to something like an ark that can save us from coming judgment, that can save us from the penalty of our own sins. I thank you. I thank you for putting these scriptures uh, in the Bible so that we can have the light of your wisdom and the light of your truth. So bless my friends. Give them a great week. I pray that you would help them to, to respect your boundaries and to walk in your light because that's where the real joy is. Thank you once again, Lord. I pray for any that don't know Christ, that soon they too would trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we love you, Lord. We thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, friend, for being with us today. I pray this has blessed you. 
and uh, you have a great week in the Lord. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.